trying to step over us, sneaking and getting the presents under the tree. And it was quite comical. But I, I just remember that, that I, I just had a hard time falling asleep. Why? Because of the anticipation. The anticipation that I'm going to get something tomorrow new, something tomorrow probably really cool, and is for me. And last week, I talked about how in every circumstance, God is bringing good to you. Romans 8.28 says that in all things, God is good to those who love him. I didn't write this one in my notes. That's why I have to look up there. There you go. 8.28. That God is bringing good in every circumstance. And I specifically mentioned how in the context of suffering, God is not only bringing good to you. God is not only bringing good to you in a season where it feels like you're at your lowest, that you might have lost things, that life is terrible, but God is bringing you an upgrade. And here's the verse, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So God is not only restoring things that have been lost, he's not only fixing things that are broken, but God is giving you more. God believes in abundance. He doesn't believe in lack. And so we learned last week that we can expect an upgrade even in our suffering. Even in the midst of our trials, God is bringing you an upgrade, and it's really exciting. You can actually come to a place in the Spirit where in your suffering, you can just be so excited. Why? Because you know, in the midst of this, God is bringing me something awesome. Something wonderful. And I challenged you last week to be in communication with God. God, not why is this happening to me? Because again, he won't answer that a lot of times. It might be someone's bad decision, your bad decision, the devil, natural disasters. Maybe it's God, but who cares the why? I just want to know, what are you doing? It's a great question to ask him. Because nine times out of ten, he wants to answer that right away. And I believe eventually you will find that out. But this morning, I don't want to just talk to you about your upgrade. Last week, I, I titled my sermon, In Suffering, I In, In Suffering. And this week, you could call it In Suffering Part 2, for those of you that are in OSL, with a little colon, uh, Becoming Like Christ. Because this week, I really want to focus on probably one of the greatest upgrades you actually receive on an ongoing basis is that you become more like Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. In everything, at all times, that is what God's plan for you is. That he is taking you from the glory you received when you first became a believer, and if you don't understand that, yes, you did. You gave your life to him, and now you're in him, and he has glory The glory you received, you're actually growing in that. And for that, I want this morning to look at Peter, because Peter, to me, is a great example of what God does to us. A great example of where we are, where we're going, and ultimately what the Lord ends up doing with us. So, if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 5. And we're going to look at one of the times when Peter was first called um, there's a couple different occasions um, 
where Peter is introduced to Jesus, but this is probably the first time that Peter really is called by Jesus. Peter is a fisherman. There's a good chance we actually have this impression reading from the Bible that he probably owned more than one boat. He owned probably a, a business. He probably had people working for him. And they had been fishing all night. And they had caught nothing. I mean, how many of you like those days where you worked really hard and there was no productivity ever? Like, that, that is probably one of my worst days. Like, something really bad could happen, but if I didn't get anything done that <laughs> I got to remind myself God is good. But Peter's at this place where they've caught nothing all night, and night was the best time to fish. They've caught nothing all night. And he runs into Jesus. Jesus shows up. And Jesus says, hey, throw your nets on the other side of the boat. And, you know, maybe the boat was still out in the water and his men are out there, or maybe he's still out in that boat. And Jesus says, throw your nets on the other side. You know, ignoring the fact that it's day, not necessarily the best time to fish. Ignoring the fact that these guys know what they're doing and he's just some carpenter dude who's now a rabbi. You know, Peter could have just been like, whatever, who are you? But he knew something about Jesus enough to say, because you said it, God, or he didn't, you know, he's got it the one. Because you said it, Jesus, I'm going to do it. The moment they throw the net on the other side of the boat, they catch so many fish, they can't even bring it all in. They're not only making up for lost time, now they've got another problem. They have too much. They don't know what to do with it all. And this is a turning point in Peter's life. And it's always a turning point in our life. When we encounter the miraculous, supernatural, overabundant love of God and our lack. You see, Peter became like overwhelmed by the fact of Jesus being other than. So much so that in verse 8 he says, Depart from me. For I am a sinful man, O Lord. Um, You just did something amazing. You're holy and I'm not. And if you got to know me anymore, you're going to just hate me. So instead of you rejecting me, just leave. Just leave, Jesus. And I love Jesus' response. Because every time you encounter the vast love of God, not every time, but most of the time, we act like Peter in this moment. And we expect God to respond accordingly. But notice what Jesus doesn't do. Jesus doesn't look at Peter and say, you're right. Let me tell you how really sinful you are. He doesn't go through the list of all the failures and mistakes. He doesn't lay out for Peter all the wicked things in his heart, the dark corners of his life he's not even aware are there. He doesn't bring up all the reasons he is not qualified to do anything that God would ever want him to do. You realize what Jesus actually says to him in verse 10? He says, Do not be afraid, for now on you will catch men. He bypasses it all. You see, we want to come to God so many times with a conversation about what we're not. And God really doesn't care. He knows what you're not. Like, He knows what you're not better than you do. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's, it's just true. And it's never productive to look at what you're not. What does Jesus do? He wants to talk about who you're going to be. 
Because that is always how he relates to you. Once you give your life to Christ, he will always relate to you on who you will be. He loves who you are now. When I was a sinner, damned to hell before God ever knew me, or before I ever knew him, I should say, he loved me. He loves exactly who I am now. Yet, once I put my life in him, he no longer relates to me that way. He says, I relate to you based on who you will be. And that's really exciting. You see, catcher of men was the aspect of Peter's calling that described the fact that he was going to go out into the world and instead of catching fish, he was going to bring people to God. You're going to know the love of God like I know the love of God. You're going to, in a sense, catch people, which if you never heard that, sounds creepy, but it's not. It's, again, just showing people the love of God. Jesus is basically saying, follow me because I will relate to you now never as who you used to be. Another great occasion where we see this is in Matthew 16, 13 to Matthew 16, 13 through 20. Sometimes I can't tell if I'm excited or if I'm just going too fast. But I'm slowing down. Here we go. Matthew 16, 13 through 20 says, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, who do men say that I am, the Son of Man? Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. There's so much in this passage that is awesome. But for the sake of what we're talking about this morning, I just want to focus on what Jesus calls him. He calls him Peter. And you find out reading the Gospel of John and other parts that his name was not Peter before Jesus. His name, like it says here, was he was Simon Bar-Jonah, which means he was Simon the son of Jonah. Not the Jonah in the Old Testament, but another Jonah. His name's Simon, and Jesus looks at him and says, you're the rock. You're rock. That's what Peter means. You're rock. Now, if you keep reading this chapter, the very next thing Peter does is argue with Jesus, and Jesus has to rebuke him. Jesus knows all the mistakes Peter will ever make. Jesus knows that on the day that Jesus would need him the most, Peter would deny him three times. Jesus knows that Peter's quite pig-headed, quite stubborn. Jesus is very aware that even in the, it, um, I believe it's the book of Galatians, um, the Apostle Paul had to rebuke Peter about something. I just love it. Peter's just getting zinged everywhere. <laughs> Jesus is even in heaven and that's happening. Jesus is aware of all of that and yet he calls him the rock. He, he knows his lack. But God does not relate to him on that level. He relates to him on who he is becoming. He says, Peter, you're rock. He calls him a rock before he denies him knowing that he will deny him. 
And we're going to look at the denial in a second. But, you know, let's pause from Peter's story and look at ours for a second. God has given you a new identity in Christ. He has given you a new purpose. He's given you a hope. There are things that everyone in Christ has that is true of every believer in Jesus. What I mean by that is once you enter into the kingdom of God, once you say, Lord, I give my life to you, forgive me for what I've done, I make you in charge, the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes in you, makes your spirit completely new. And everyone in Christ, it doesn't matter if you've been a Christian two seconds, 20 years, whatever, everyone in Christ is now holy, the Bible says. You're now part of a royal priesthood. You're sons and daughters of God. You're children of God. You are loved beyond anything you would ever know. You have access to power that is the greatest power in the world, God's power. You are seated in heavenly places. You have the authority that Jesus has. You are something you cannot even comprehend, and this is who you are. For every believer, that is true. And again, we don't earn that. We just say, God, here, I'll do a switch. You take my crummy life, and I'll take your awesome life. And God's like, done, boom. You didn't, he, you're not earning it. But I want to also encourage you that as the Lord would illuminate to you what is true of anyone who is in Christ, so it is true of you, that God also has specific things he wants to do in you that is unique to you. This is why Paul can say um, in the book of Corinthians, I think also in Romans, that we're part of the body of Christ. We're all part of the body of Christ, but each of us are diff- has different functions. I don't know how it works, but someone's an ear and someone's a mouth and someone's a toe. And, um, and you know, Paul makes the point that no one's less valuable than someone else. But God has designed that in our, um, in our unity, there would be uniqueness. There would be individuality. In our connectedness, we would all have a different expression of God. Which is one reason I love hanging out with you guys. Because the more I hang out with you, the more I understand something a little bit better about Jesus. Because you express a certain part about the Lord. You're called to express a certain part of the Lord that is unique to you. Again, for example, Peter was called a catcher of men. And that was, that was, that's a calling on everybody. We're called to evangelize and disciple people. That is the calling of every believer that what you've received, you would freely give. Freely receive, you would freely give. But no one else in the Bible was called a rock except for the Lord himself. That was unique to Peter. And the Lord has also given you a unique calling, niche, niche I don't really like, but calling, aspect, expression. There is something to you that will never be again, has never been. And the exciting thing is, that's partly what God is doing when he's taking you from glory to glory is helping you become the real you in, in Christ. Now I say that, and most of you, maybe not most of you, but there's at least some of you sit there and you're like, I don't know what it is. Who am I? <laughs> you know, everyone, we all want to know who we are. I mean, I work with youth, but I'll tell you right now, it's not just a teenager problem. It's a, it's a everybody problem. We want to know, like, who am I? And before I, I again finish Peter's story, let me just pause and tell you 
how you can step into knowing who you are. Um, and let me just give you three things. First of all, study your identity in Christ. And there are passages that talk about who we are as believers specifically. You can look at Ephesians 1 is a great example of that. Um, don't read it through it quickly, actually. Like, look at every word there. Uh, Romans, the whole book of Romans, Romans 8, so it talks about the love of the Lord. Study passages that talk about those things that I said are universal to everyone in Christ. Because that is your context. For example, everyone in Christ is a servant. That doesn't sound fun. <laughs> well, it's true. Jesus came to serve and not be served. He came to die on a cross. And so part of who we are is that we're laid down lovers. That no matter what the Lord would tell me to do, my spirit wants to do it. My flesh isn't always happy about it, but my spirit is excited. Why? Because that's who I'm called to be. That's your context. But it's more than just studying identity in the Bible. Again, you have to know that to understand the other stuff better. But in just studying the Word, I would encourage you to read the Bible every day. And this isn't just a plug for doing your devotions. Read the Word every day because a lot of what God wants to do through your daily Bible reading is tell you who you are. Um, there's a guy I like to study. I was talking to Sam earlier about him named Graham Cook, and he really brings up um, what I'm about to tell you uh, really succinctly. By the way, if you ever want to get really deep in this talk, topic, look up Graham Cook. Uh, he's a great minister of God. But Graham Cook talks about the fact that you're, you'll be reading a, a Bible passage for whatever reason. Maybe it's your daily Bible reading. Maybe you just want to pick up the Bible. And at one point, a verse will leap off the page and seem to just wrap itself around you. And you have this sense of, this is who I am. And it might be about something not pertaining to you, like, not pertaining to you and I'm not saying take the Bible out of context, but what I mean by that is you will know that this is a description of me. Um, a lot of people will call these inheritance words, that these are words from Scripture that describe your inheritance in Christ. And I'll just give you one of mine. Um, Jeremiah 1.4 I was reading one day, and I've, I've, I've tried. Haven't been great. I'll, I'll be real. But since I was a little kid, I've tried to be in God's Word every day. And so I've probably read Jeremiah multiple times, Jeremiah 1 especially, a famous verse. Oh, my bad. Jeremiah 1, 4. Okay, here we go. 1, 5. You're off. There you go. <laughs> See, I don't write the references down. Always oh, right. Okay. Jeremiah 1, 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Now, this is God's call on Jeremiah. I read that one day, though, and the phrase prophet to the nations, like, jumped out at me. I'm not calling myself a prophet. What the Lord, I felt, was telling me, though, is he was saying that, Kurt, one day you're going to interact with other countries. You're going to go different places. You're going to minister to people of other cultures, and you're going to help bring the word of God, which is what a prophet does. They bring the word of the Lord. And I'm telling you right now, I am so convinced of that that you could not convince me otherwise. I read that and I just knew that's, that's for me. This is, again, this isn't about me. I just felt like I had to give you a concrete example that 
as you're just reading the word, the Lord wants to tell you who you are. Um, Stephen's another example. Stephen in the Bible, the Lord has said, you're, you're Stephen in a lot of ways. And I, don't, I won't go into everything. But part of understanding who you are is just being in the word daily because it's in those daily times that Jesus is going to make those things jump out at you. Jesus through the Holy Spirit. The other thing is, so I said, you know, study the word of God about identity in general. Just read the word of God daily because he's going to speak to you about who you are. And the third was, in your, spend time in prayer and worship often. I would say daily, but often. Because it's in those moments too that you might just be loving on Jesus you might be praying in the Spirit. You might be doing whatever. You're hanging out with the Lord, and all of a sudden, boom, he's like, this is who you are. You know, and by the way, if you're not really sure what it means to hear God, you're like, what does that sound like? I've never heard the audible voice of the Lord. I know people who have. I haven't. But you just have this strong sense. He just spoke to me. Now, again, no one hears perfectly, so we always kind of like, Lord, was it you or not? But he'll confirm what he tells you. And in my prayer times, God has said, Kurt, this is who you are. And when I realize that, I start writing it down. But also in prayer and worship, it's not just me. There'll be prayer and worship times, like in this context, where I'm prayer, praying and worshiping with other people. And someone will, will either be praying for me for something else, or they'll just come up to me and say, hey, I feel like the Lord wants to say this to you. We call that a prophetic word where God shares through somebody else something he wants to tell you. Now, I want to caution you, just because someone gives you a prophetic word doesn't mean it's from God. And doesn't mean even, so in whole it might not be from God, and also in part it might not be from God. They might have a sense of what God's saying, but they might add stuff, because again, we're all learning. I've given some really bad prophetic words to people. Just, I'm just being real. Like, it was bad. But, but we, this is a safe place. And it's okay to do that because um, unlike the Old Testament, we stoned prophets that gave bad prophetic words. In the New Testament, we're, we're told that we're able to judge words. So you need to take what's given to you and say, is that God? For example, if someone comes to me and says, Kurt, you're called to be a pastor. And someone did prophesy that over me. When they prophesied that to me when I was young, I had already heard that. So the person was just confirming what the Lord had already told me. Now let's say that was new information. If that was new information, I would not move on it until I knew the Lord had also spoken to me. So I, I have a strong value for the prophetic. I have a strong value for, let's just get together with some people, pray, and as you feel led, let's go for it. Um, but I'm not going to base my life solely on what someone else tells me. Because I am so responsible for what I do with my life. I'm not going to be able, but God, he told me that was from you. And God's like, I didn't tell you that. Okay. I don't say that to freak you out. I just say, you, you have permission and you should judge what's given to you. But, having said that, you will receive words from the Lord if you so choose to pursue that. And here's the cool thing. What you need to do is you need to take those truths about your identity those truths about of your inheritance words from Scripture, you need to take those prophetic words, you need to write those down, and you need to meditate on those. You need to know those. You need to keep those at the forefront of your thinking because in every circumstance, God is making you like that. Again, so let's take Peter. Peter is a rock. So in every season of Peter's life, God is making him more rock-like. 
Like every, every trial that comes Peter's way, Peter can rejoice. I'm becoming more like a rock now. He's confident. He's excited because he knows the end game. He knows what God is doing. Let me tell you something. God wins. The devil already lost, and God wins. So I'm telling you right now, the end of your story is good. But Judas quit before he let Jesus finish his story. Peter didn't. Now let's go to, let me go back to Peter's story. I believe most of you know it, but just again, for the sake of um, teaching this morning, Peter, the night before Jesus is crucified, is told by Jesus that you will deny me three times. And Peter's like, no, I won't. I will give my life for you. And the rest of the people said the same. And Jesus said, you're not going to. Now, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. The soldiers come, take him. And Peter, to his credit, pulls out a sword and is like, I'm protecting my leader, and chops off someone's ear. Which I think means he was a bad swordsman, because if I'm really trying to protect somebody, I just don't go lobbing off ears. Um, so, but it shows that Peter had heart. And Jesus says, Peter, this is not how my kingdom's advanced. Paraphrase. He said, you know, those who live by the sword die by the sword. Basically, we're not in that kind of, we're not in that kind of kingdom. We don't spread the gospel that way. And now Peter doesn't know what to do, and he just runs with everybody. Later that night, Peter runs into somebody near the area where Jesus is getting tried, and they're like, aren't you one of those guys who followed Jesus? No, 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 not me. Later, someone else says, you sound like you're a Galilean. You have that, like, drawl thing going. I don't know how they talk, but you have that accent from Galilee. Aren't you one of Jesus' followers? No. No, I'm not me. And a third time, Jesus, you, you follow him. No, no. And he denies him three times. And then all of a sudden, the rooster crows, and he realizes what he's done. And, and at some point, it says he can actually see Jesus when that happened. And he just becomes so convicted. I have just screwed this up royally. And I really have a strong sense this morning that some of you come in to this conversation and you are really focused on your lack. And your lack has a lot to do with what you've done and what you've chosen to do. And God does not care. He cares if you make that choice. But once you've made the choice, he just wants to know what's the next choice. But what I mean, actually, is he relates to you based on who you're becoming. And even in your failure, God is making you more like you're supposed to be. Have you ever thought about Peter's story this way? Jesus needed to have a moment where he pulled back from Peter. You see, the disciples were around Jesus for three years. They knew the presence of the Lord because he's present. But Jesus knew that for Peter to become a rock, he couldn't solely rely on what he saw with his eyes. For Peter to become a rock, he couldn't base his firm stance on how he felt. Peter become like a rock, he couldn't base it whether he felt Jesus, saw Jesus, or knew Jesus, what Jesus was doing at the moment. For Peter to be a rock, he had to base it on what the Lord said. So what does Jesus do? Jesus removes himself from Peter in a way that 
Peter has no idea what Jesus is doing and why things are going on the way they're going on. And I believe it was so God could expose what was going on in Peter's heart. See, Peter has been relying on himself and he doesn't even realize it. And God says, I'm going to put you in a situation, not so you fail, but so that I can expose what's in your heart. And once you see what's in your heart, you can be excited. Because why? When I see the lack I have, I can rejoice because I know he's bringing me an upgrade. God never points out things in your life so he can just be like, dude, you are terrible. God points out things in our own heart so he can say, we're awesome. You're awesome and you're becoming more awesome. So I want to encourage you this morning that just like Peter went through a season where he, he figured out what he was in lacking, what he was lacking, that wasn't so the Lord could crush him. That was so the Lord could build him up. And let me tell you something. Peter learned the lesson because at the end of his life, they said, deny me. Deny Jesus. And Peter said, you're going to have to kill me. And wait, you're going to crucify me? If you're going to crucify me, do it upside down because I don't even want to look like I'm dying the way Jesus did. He passed the test. What did he, how did he end? He ended like a rock. Why? Because Jesus only would relate to him based on who he was becoming. And that's what God is doing for you. And I, again, I say I really feel that strongly. So I just want to close with some encourage, in, encouraging and some instruction, and then Katie's going to lead us in something. But your homework is to seek God on who you are. Get in your word. Spend time with him. Ask him. He'll talk to you. And by the way, if that's not the first question he answers, because sometimes we come to God and we ask him questions that he doesn't want to answer right away. He wants to answer another question. Deal with that question, because that's actually what he's doing in your life. I had a moment where I had no idea what my calling was, and I was so frustrated I wouldn't even spend time worshiping him. And eventually, I got so frustrated with not spending time with him that I'm like, God, I don't care what you've called me to do. I just want to spend time with you. And he's like, that's what I was teaching you. Your first calling is a worshiper. Now go back to that church called New Community. Tell Dave you want to help him. I'm like, okay. Um, When I graduated school. So seek God for who you are. Hold on to those words. Write them down. Meditate on them. Um... Rejoice and give thanks in all circumstances because God is removing the old stuff and he's making you new. You have, you have total permission to be full of joy in every occasion of your life because you are always winning. Even when your lack comes up, that's awesome, God. It's like a present. Trials, yes, I'm getting an upgrade. I'm failing, yes, God's going to help me win. You know, you can rejoice in every season because God is doing good for you and the cool thing, he's also doing good for other people. I haven't fully touched on that, but that's really what the kingdom is about. I don't live my life for myself, but for him. But you've got to catch it for yourself first and other people. And understand that you also will receive something and suffering that you cannot receive otherwise. I don't know why. God can do whatever he wants. But it's almost like, I, I, can't, I can't explain it, but, it, but to say that, your trials have a unique opportunity to upgrade. Um, I heard a guy say that it's really hard to be Christ-like when everything's going well. I know that sounds dumb, but it's kind of true. 
Jesus went through a lot of things, and he was still Jesus. I'm not, and by the way, do not ask for suffering. It'll just come. There's some people who think, like, some people get so, like, excited by, like, what God does in the midst of trials that they just start, Lord, heap it on me. I'm like, no, no, bad. Like, Paul even, they were about to scourge him, and he's like, um, can you guys not? I'm a Roman citizen. Like, he talked himself out of getting scourged one time. Like, he, he didn't like all that punishment, but when he received it, he was excited because he knew God was doing something awesome in him. So, Katie, if you could come up, close this. Let's get excited. All right. Um, we're going to stay seated for now. Um, and as the worship team plays, you guys just play in the background. Um, we're just going to take a moment just to hear from the Lord. Um, Kurt was talking about our identity. And um, so if you just want to take, like, we'll just take a minute and just close your eyes and, and just ask God, Lord, who do you say that I am? Who am I in you? What is my identity in you? And um, they're just going to play um, and just listen. Just kind of sit in silence and just see if you can hear from the Lord speaking to you about who you are. not have heard anything. Um, some of you may have heard a, a word from the Lord. Um, and some of you might have been hearing what you are not. And um, sometimes when we're trying to seek the Lord and, and ask him, okay, Lord, who am I? Sometimes the bigger thing that comes up is, oh, but I'm not this. I'm not strong. I'm not capable. I wish I was that way, but I'm not that way. Sometimes there's like this shame that can come up too. Um, so Kurt kind of felt like, you know, let's do the symbolic act where if if that was something that came up in you today or has come up before where all you hear is just that negative, like you're not that, that accuser, that voice that tries to tell you who you aren't and make you focus on that. Um, we're just as a symbolic act, just going to take that thing in our hands. So if you want to hold out your hand, I, my hands are full, so I can't show you, but you know what it looks like to hold out your hand. 
pretend like that um, that negative identity or that false identity or that identity that the enemy would want have you believe or your family would have you believe or your friends would have you believe whatever that identity is that is not from God we're just going to symbolically take that in our hands and right now we're going to lay that down at Jesus' feet we're going to lay it down before the Lord. So if you just want to symbolically set that down on the ground as if you were standing before Jesus or you were kneeling at his cross and just lay that down before him. And we just want to enter his throne room, as Lynn said this morning, um, knowing we're welcome and we're accepted and that our true identity is going to come from God. And so as we sing this last worship song to close this out this morning, I want you to start now to um, visualize receiving from the Lord who he has called you to be. And if you keep hearing that negative identity, if that keeps ringing, just keep laying that down before him and just saying, no, I'm not going to receive that. I'm going to receive who God says I am. And if you didn't hear who that was today, um, keep pursuing that this week, like Kurt said. Sit before the Lord. Read Romans. Uh, read scripture that just declare who you are as a Christ follower and then who you are just as an individual, a unique individual created by the Lord. Um, before we uh, sing this last song, we do have some prayer teams in the back. And um, we just got a word um, sensing that maybe the Lord wanted to heal someone with a foot issue. And someone that struggles with headaches or has one now. And then um, just another word from the Lord um, from Scott. He just was sensing this morning that he needed to share that no matter what your situation is, um, even if it just feels like it's just you and God alone facing this situation, you are still the majority against hell. Um, the enemy would have us believe that God is barely winning, but we, or he will overwhelmingly conquer. And all you need is him, and you have the majority. Um, so take those things. Um, just sing out to the Lord or sit before him or go back for prayer, whatever you need to do. And then when they're done with this song, we'll, you guys are dismissed. Um, you can help grab a chair. Don't forget your kids back there to pick them up. <laughs> um, and, and thank you so much this, for being with us this morning. He's awakening the hope in